Welcome to Beyond the Stacks, a podcast from Westlake Porter Public Library. On this show, we aim to spark your curiosity and take you beyond the stacks and inside all that the library has to offer. On this episode, our roving reporter, Linda Gandy, talks with CJ and Katie about all that can be created in the library's makerspace. Then, our two errands will provide some reader's advisory around the topic of 2024 reading challenges. This is Linda Gandy, and I'm here at the Westlake Porter Public Library, and I'm in a sound booth here in the library. Doesn't that sound kind of strange to some people? Well, we're here to introduce you to not only the sound booth, but a much larger space called the Makerspace. And the name behind the beginning of all of this is C.J. Lintz, and he is here and going to chat with us. Is that right, C.J.? I am. I'm happy to be here. Good, good. Okay. Do you want to introduce our other guest here? Um, Also with us today is Katie Cooley. She is the manager of the Makerspace and our adult services uh, assistant manager, and she oversees all of the current operations of the space. Great. Okay. You know, I just have this feeling for anybody to come in here and see this whole operation. And it's right as you walk in the main door, by the way, of the Westlake Library. Walk in the door. It's right to your left. You don't even have to walk very far for it. But I think if you come in here for one time and see this space and all the things that you two can do, you're going to be bowled over. I remember when I first came in here, and that was to do a story uh, for Cleveland.com, for which I write stories. And I was just blown away at all the things that all of us can do in here. And CJ, of course, took me around on a tour of this room. I want to ask you, CJ, is uh, is the space getting too small? Well, um, it, it was um, always uh, intended to be big enough, and we're quickly finding out it is a little too small for our um, future visions um, as we're looking at it. Um, but um, for the time being, it's actually a very comfortable space, um, okay. and we're going to have to figure out what we do when we add some new equipment into here. Oh, I'm sure, yes. And what year was this that this was all put together and opened? 2023 in um, April. This is the space has been in the planning stage for about a year prior to that, and it, um, the idea had been talked around or tossed around for um, probably about five or six years. Um, we had maker stations in the library, which were scattered throughout the library, um, but bringing that all together into one dedicated space came out of a space planning did about three and a half years ago, and a community survey came back and um, clearly said that um, our residents and our users wanted to see a dedicated space for um, hands-on creativity. Okay. And I'm going to turn my head here to Katie and say about, do you have a number of about how many people have used this maker space so far? You can say about. Thank you for having me, Linda. Uh-huh. Um, so far, we've had just over a thousand <gasps> users in our maker space since our grand opening, April 29th. You've just blown my mind. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be anywhere near a thousand. Did you, CJ? Isn't that amazing? It has been much better than we ever imagined. Yeah. Oh, true. 
And uh, you were in the early part of it. Uh, so now I want to ask Katie, uh, you're sort of the director now of the Makerspace. Is that your title? I'm the assistant manager of adult services, but I oversee the daily operations of the Makerspace. Okay. Yes. So now it's time for you to tell us what all this equipment is in here. What is in here for people to come in and explore? Sure. We have a whole variety of different equipment and technology available. Um, I'd say our number one hit is the 3D printing machines. Oh, now I got to ask you a question about that. Sure. How many things can you print in 3D or is it uh, numberless? I'd say the possibilities are infinite for sure. It's really whatever uh, folks can think up to design. There's certain software you can use to make your own 3D print designs. Okay, now you're going to have to get a little more specific for those of us who are still uh, uh, just sort of in the magical days <laughs> about the makerspace. What, what does 3D printing actually mean? So 3D printing, our specific machines use a plastic filament. Uh, the machine actually has it, once you put the design into the machine, it takes an STL file. Stereolithography is the type of file we use. And we, just like you set up your printer properties when you're going to print a paper document, mm -hmm. we set up different settings for our 3D printers to tell it if it needs support or what temperature to heat the hot end up to. So the hot end melts the plastic and then there's a fan surrounding that that immediately cools the plastic into the shape of the design that you've put in. So there has to be all kinds of things inside to do all these different designs, mm -hmm. right? It's not like just paper things. Somebody might want, you know, a whole, let's say, all kinds of individual things for an elementary classroom of 30 students. Now, how in the heck are they going to do something with this like that? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because we actually have an elementary teacher that put in a request to make bubble wands for her students. Wow. So we were able to 3D print 30 bubble wands. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What would you say is the largest thing that has ever been made in this makerspace? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, one of the, um, actually one of the largest and probably one of the first things that was made was the sign that is hanging outside of the makerspace. Yes. It was made on our CNC machine, which um, uh, within uh, later this winter, we're going to be offering our first tutorials on our CNC machine. And so you can actually learn how to create signs or other uh, projects um, using that. And let people know about a CNC machine where, for decades before this place ever came together, what a CNC machine was used for. So a CNC, um, CNC has been a technology used in manufacturing um, for, as you said, decades. Basically takes a piece of material and uses a um, computer-controlled cutting apparatus to carve that material into a three-dimensional, or in the case of a sign, a two-and-a-half-dimensional object. It's exactly the opposite of what a 3D printer does. It's amazing. I have an uncle who for years owned a machine shop, and that was such a big deal when the CNC machines came along, and he invited me to come over one time and watch it. And it all had to do with metal pieces and so forth, 
this is different. What what kind of materials do you use, use in it here? So this, um, our CNC here is not um, as um, large and robust as some of the manufacturing CNC, but you can use plastics and wood, um, rubbers, um, and some easier to cut materials on, on our machine. How would you use it for wood? You could use a piece of plywood or a piece of hardwood and actually carve a design into the wood, um, very similar to the plastic signs that we've made and that are hanging out front. I was going to ask you both, what are the actual possibilities here? But we seem to be getting into a whole lot of them already. (laughs) Are the possibilities endless, Katie? I think so. As big as your imagination can go, we have so many different um, pieces of equipment available, but we also are building a sense of community here Mm -hmm. of makers, and it's really exciting to feel the energy in the room. Oh, tell me about the makers. Who is coming in here saying, I'm a maker, and therefore I want to do what? Yeah, so it's it's fascinating because we've gotten small children who want to come in and try their hand at designing for the 3D printer. We have... Like what? What do those small children want? A lot of them um, like little animal figurines oh, and sure. things like that. There's a there's a way to make figures with joints so they can bend, like a flexi dragon. That's a very popular item. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, the little older child, or maybe a teen. Mm-hmm. The would... teens are really taking off with the design software. They're actually. I'm amazed to continue to learn from them, actually. They're teaching us tricks and tips. And what do they want to make? Well, they're more into the designing. So we have, for example, a button maker. You can make little badges. Oh, like political buttons? or Sure. Yeah, okay. But um, we had a teen come in and make them for a birthday party. So they were the favors. On their own computer and brought it in, or a computer here? The computer's here, actually. We okay. have um, Draw is really oh fantastic. Oh, my gosh, and that's been around forever. <laughs> and then how about adults? I would say the next most popular uh, form of creativity in here has been the sublimation printing, where you can take an image, say a photograph, for example, and you can actually transfer it onto a material that is prepared for sublimation, um, such as a coffee mug. Oh. Uh, we also have some. someone just the other day made a puzzle with their family portrait on it. And, and what about soft items like a sweatshirt or something? Yeah, you can definitely do that. We like light-colored, mostly polyester. At least 60% is mm-hmm. ideal. And it will uh, take the sublimation ink transfer. Oh, my goodness. All of the equipment is kind of interest to everybody that comes in here. Uh, we have people across um, uh, demographics coming in for the sewing machine and for the sublimation, for the recording booth, for 3D printing. Um, the nice thing about it is it's uh, all of these things to learn about and be creative um, for, for everybody that's coming in. And you might mention the... Uh computers you have. Yes, we have. It's really lovely. We have a laptop kiosk that you can actually check out a laptop with your library card and use it in this space. Um, but we also have a Mac. We have some dedicated Mac users, so we're, oh, we're yes, glad to appease them. <laughs> um, and we have a few desktop computers in the space, and they all come equipped with the Adobe suite. Between the two of you, 
how do we make this for people to understand how many things can be done in this room? CJ, you first. If you have an idea, come in and talk to us and we will see what or how your idea could be accomplished using the equipment that we have. Um, it, it, it is so hard to put a number on the number of things that you can do. What we like to, what we recommend is come in and talk to us. Um, come in and talk to the other people that are here. As Katie had mentioned, um, the community that's forming within this space, we have patrons who are coming in and having a hard time working with a particular piece of material or potentially with the sewing machine. And we have other patrons who have become experts and are able to help um, figure out and and take those um, the challenges or the ideas that other patrons have and help them work through the process of, of, of making it a, into reality. And you mentioned a sewing machine. Mm-hmm. Can someone like me, who uh, flunked seventh grade home ec <laughs> in sewing, could I come in here and learn how to sew? Yes, you can. Oh, wow. I would love to mention our wonderful staff. We have sure. a great group of associates that are here specifically dedicated to helping in the makerspace, which is our service model. Mm-hmm. We, we would love for folks to come in and be able to receive tips and tricks and talk through their project ideas and get that inspiration from someone. Is there a list in this room somewhere that shows uh, a person, if you're interested in this, 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 or this, you can come here and do it? Is there any kind of list like that? We do have a brochure that has Ah. the equipment that we have available, yes. Excellent. Okay. (laughs) And CJ, in your experience, when did all this begin? that uh, you all first heard that this was even possible. So uh, makerspaces and libraries um, have been around for about a decade. Um, It started off with a couple libraries that uh, created dedicated spaces and had artists in residence. And um, they were artists that specifically worked with um, uh, fabrication. And out of that grew the idea of the makerspace. And um, I had the pleasure to be part of one of the first makerspaces in Ohio about a decade ago. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Then the next question is, um, I can't believe this can all be free. So we do charge for some of the equipment. For example, if you're making a sublimation mug, the sublimation prints are 50 cents a piece, mm-hmm. and the mugs go from either 250 for all white or 350 for blue and white. Okay. What about the political buttons? Those are 10 cents a piece. That's all? That's oh all. Oh, my gosh. What else? what else do you have in here that, you know, people would say, hey, that's not too bad. I could do that. The 3D printers, um, you're only talking about five cents per gram of plastic that you use. And it's rare that something is going above a dollar or two Mm -hmm. um, for the print. So you'd be amazed at the items that you can print and just how cheap it is. Um, You can print stuff that it's probably cheaper to print it than it is to buy it. Okay. Oh, that's beautiful. Now let's throw in hours. When are you open here? This it can't, can't possibly be 24 hours a day. Well, we're open um, every day. We've just recently, in the last few weeks, expanded our hours even further due to the overwhelming demand for this space. So we are now open 1 to 4 on Sunday, 1 to 5 on Monday, one thirty to 8 Tuesday and Wednesday, so you get your your evening folks have a chance to come in and create. And then we're 10 to 5, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. 
seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Well, aren't you all wonderful people that you're not <laughs> putting any kind of stop on it for people who have very busy schedules and, you know, want to do some fun things, maybe for their children's birthday parties, something like that, correct? Yeah, definitely. We've got, um, we've had some folks make party favors, um, bunting, using the Aww. cricket machine. And maybe some anniversary things for, you know, grandma and grandpa's 50th anniversary. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, everything from A to Z. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that we have given uh, a very good overview to everybody listening to this podcast about uh, where this originated and what you can do here because it's truly awesome. Mm-hmm. It's just awesome. Thank you both for being here on the podcast. You do need a, a library card, though, am I right? Yes. yes. Just just go to the desk and get one. Exactly. Just takes a minute. No big problem. That's right. <laughs> takes a minute. All right. Thanks, CJ. Thank Thanks, you. Katie. Thank you so much. Thanks to Linda, CJ, and Katie for taking us through the library's makerspace. In a moment, we'll check in with the two errands to see what kind of reading challenges they're looking at for 2024. But first... Hello, lovely people. Are you tired of the winter blues hitting you harder than the Lake Erie wind chill? Well, I've got the perfect solution, and no, it isn't moving to Florida. It's the Winter Reading Challenge at Westlake Porter Public Library. You might be thinking that sounds crazier than a snowman trying to get a tan, but hear me out. To take your mind off the howling winter wind, imagine yourself all cozied up inside your nice warm house with a good book and stories that can take you to sunny beaches on a mysterious adventure or into a thrill and romance. And all without the hassle of the airport, hotel costs, and overpriced restaurants that serve pasta primavera instead of the chicken parm. That doesn't sound much like a challenge, you say? Well, the challenge part is just reading 20 minutes a day in February and keeping track. The best part? You'll be entering yourself to win a grand prize raffle. Now remember, this challenge is for everyone from little shavers to old timers. All ages, all abilities are welcome to participate and have a chance at that grand prize raffle. So plan on beating those winter blues one page at a time by joining the Westlake Porter Public Library Winter Reading Challenge. Let's make February lit orary. Welcome back to our Stump the Librarian segment with the two Aarons. Uh, I'm Aaron Spears, young adult librarian here at Westlake Porter Public Library. And I'm Aaron Manning, Reader's Advisory Librarian. And this one we're taking a little bit of a different twist. It's the start of the year, and there are a lot of reading challenges out there. People, uh, it's one of my top like New Year's resolutions is uh, hit one of those challenges, dive in, and get some good reading done. And we thought this is a perfect way to highlight some of those because Aaron here creates a Westlake Porter Public Library reading challenge each year. Yes, I started doing this uh, several years ago, originally just for the staff. And then I think around 2020, I started posting it online for patrons as well. The idea really came from, you know, reading all those other challenges and thinking this would be super fun. and I want to make my own. 
And now this year we even have like a whole display going where there's printouts of the challenge you have, some recommendations around the challenge, I think, as well. Did you put that display together? Um, actually, that was Katie, one of my coworkers, okay. and she added a few other uh, challenges on there, too. So I think um, Novelist Read Harder Challenge might be there. Okay. And possibly Pop Sugar. Well, us librarians do like our reading challenges. And the Pop Sugar one always seems to be a favorite. Is that one you've done in the past? I have done it. Um, this year, though, I decided not to because it was getting a little bit complicated. They like to play on the uh, theme of whatever year it is. So a lot of these were based around the number 24. Okay. And it was making me do too much math. And I'm like, you know, I just want to read a book. <laughs> it's a reading challenge, not a math challenge. Come on. <laughs> exactly. So I'll try it again next year. So you said you've been making these for a few years now. What Do you have a process? Like, how do you go about creating? Because I read a number of the challenges. I'm never very successful through the years. Uh, but the topics you always have, I'm like, oh, i got to find a book like that. That's really intriguing. So what is your process for this? Well, thank you. Um, so I start usually in January, and I start jotting down some things based on what I'm reading right now or things that I want to read. Late last year, actually, I was reading a uh, book by Arthur Conan Doyle, but it wasn't a Sherlock Holmes story, and I thought, that'd be a fun challenge. He's written tons of other books that aren't Sherlock yeah. Holmes. Let's make that a prompt. Nice. And, and it is this year. Exactly. Nice. Okay. Yeah, and I just constantly am swapping things in and out, adjusting it, uh, so it really takes about a year to get it all together. I think that's probably a good uh, a good workflow, too, because if you're just trying to cram in, like, an hour of sitting down, you end up Googling stuff, or maybe you're just, you know, stealing prompts from other challenges. This way they kind of occur to you organically. Exactly. Um, which I really enjoy, because it's, it's also a wide range of stuff, from, like you said, something that's not Sherlock Holmes to, like, a book about cooking, where you're like, mm-hmm. wow, oh, yeah, that's a complete left turn from that last prompt I saw. And actually, I got the idea for that one from one of our previous podcasts when we were talking about lessons in chemistry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought, okay. oh, that'd be fun. Let's do something about cooking. Which, but maybe specifically that's not a cookbook. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you also have some uh, bonus challenges on the back as well. How do you determine what's a bonus challenge versus, like, the main challenge? Those are the ones where I feel like some of my look at it and go, oh, gosh, you know, I gotta. <laughs> how am I supposed to find this? Or I don't want to read that, so... But I want to read it, so I thought that'd be kind of fun. So I, I, so I brought some examples of stuff that I pulled once we get to do it here, and I, uh, I, I really gravitated towards your bonuses. So I guess I'm maybe the audience for the eye roll, eye <laughs> 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 roll challenges anyway. But so that's a little bit about my challenge. But Aaron, are you doing any other challenges? I am doing a couple. Well, actually, you know what I think I'm doing? I think I'm just cherry picking from challenges to make my own challenge. Okay. Uh, I read a lot of, well, for my job, I read a lot of young adult stuff, uh, but for pleasure reading on my own, I tend to go towards nonfiction. I took some of the prompts that you had and a, um, I looked at the one called the 52 Book Club Challenge, uh, so, you know, one a week, basically, and kind of translated some of their interesting topics into a nonfiction read. But also the challenges are about getting outside of your reading comfort zone. So I uh, I did find some some fiction I will be reading thanks to your challenge. But what else do you look at besides, um, well, you're making your own, and you mentioned Pop Sugar already. Um, yeah, so this year I'm also doing a Novelist, which is one of our databases. They have a reading challenge, and this is good for somebody who doesn't have a ton of time to read because it's just one prompt a month. I'm also doing Read with Allison, which is another challenge I found for the first time this year. And then since you mentioned it, the 52 challenge. So I don't expect I'm actually going to complete all these prompts. Right. I just like having a bunch of stuff to choose from. And, you know, you, you give it a try, but it usually doesn't happen. Are you, that brings up actually an interesting question. Are you, have you been successful in the past with 
your own challenge, first of all? Last year was the first time. Okay. So usually that's no. Um, and actually I did well last year. I finished a couple of challenges. But my opinion, you can double dip, I think. You know, you oh, sure. one book for multiple prompts. Last year I didn't, so I was really surprised it actually worked. Um, but I usually like to change it up. Sometimes I'll do one prompt per book, sometimes as many prompts as I can fit. I think that's probably a good uh, kind of asterisk to put next to this whole conversation is it's okay not to finish yes. your challenge. Uh, the idea is to kind of prompt you uh, into reading and get you exploring you know, outside of your reading comfort zone, but also I think within your reading comfort zone too to discover maybe a, a deeper title that you're like, oh, I never, I never probably would have picked that up without that challenge prompt being there. So it's not really about the victory of completing. It's more about the the fun of the discovery you get all year long reading. Exactly. Reading should be fun. It's not like when you're in school and it's, you know, an assignment. It's yeah, this is not homework. <laughs> right, right. Well, let's jump in. Is there is there a prompt that wasn't... A lot of mine are from your challenge, so okay. I'll say. Is there a prompt not from your challenge that really intrigued you this year? Yeah, so I'm actually um, really interested with one from Read, from, Read with Allison. Um, it's a second chance author. And so what that means is an author you read before and you hated them and you're giving them a second oh, chance. Oh, okay. And I'm a big fan of reading horror and everyone always tells me to read Lovecraft and I don't like him. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give him another shot okay. with At the Mountains of Madness. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know much about it, but it's set um, in an Arctic expedition. I love horror that's big on setting. So something creepy and, you know, the icy wastes, it sounds yeah. awesome. So, Which is also not a visual I think of when I think of Lovecraftian horror mm-hmm. in general. So that's maybe a cool setting to dive back into uh, into his. So, yeah, I'm excited to give him another shot. And how about you, Aaron? I went with one. A uh, This is from your challenge, not the bonus. This is the, 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 the main challenge, I guess, so to speak, was a biography of someone you've never heard of. Ah. Um, but then also, how do you search that out if you've never heard of the person? So I kind of just started Googling around for lists of, like, great biographies of more, like, unknown people, like, not a celebrity kind of thing. And I found one called The Last American Man by Elizabeth Gilbert, which was an award winner a number of years ago. Um, so I think this was a probably well-received and well-known book. I had just never heard of it before um, about a gentleman, well, barely a man. At 17, he left his family and society to live in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, He made fire using sticks, trapped animals, wore their fur, I guess for for clothing then and warmth at that point. And then uh, the the description also mentions he tries to convince more Americans to return to nature. But what really grabbed my attention was he walked away from his family and society in 1977. Yeah. And he was out there for more than a couple decades. I was born in 77. And so like, wait, so my entire like modern, quote unquote, modern, you know, growing up in society, he was like, no thanks. And doing this the whole time. I was like, well, I'm intrigued. And I never heard of him. So that sounds like a great book. (laughs) I'm going to have to check that one out too. What's your, uh, what's another prompt you're you're going with this year? So I read a lot of uh, old stuff. So Mm -hmm. um, for creepy horror or ghost story, this is a novelist prompt. And it could also actually work for one of my prompts, a book in the public domain. Okay. It's called The Mummy by Jane Webb. It's set in the year 2126, and a group of scientists unearth a, um, the pharaoh, uh, sorry, the mummy of this evil pharaoh. And they do what anybody would do, and they decide to bring him back to life with galvanism. Of course. <laughs> and so he promptly steals their airship, sets off for England. Um, this is kind of a steampunk, like a really early steampunk book. Oh, interesting. Written in the 1800s. The queen mysteriously is killed by an assassin, and you find out that this mystery man is whispering secrets to 
uh, high-ranking government officials, and I wonder if it's the mummy. Right. <laughs> that could be interesting, too. When was you said that was written in the... Late 1800s. Late 1800s. I think okay. it was the 1870s. So, like, the ideas of, like, what a mummy is and the supernatural in that time period is very different than what we think of nowadays. Exactly. So that could be really interesting, too. Well, let's, let's stick in the past a little bit, because one of your bonus prompts was a mystery written sometime between 1930 and 1970. And I've always meant to read more of those kind of like hard-boiled detective mystery novels, like those those paperbacks of the era. And I wanted to dig a little deeper than the Dashville Hammetts and the Raymond Chandlers and all that. And I found one called Turn on the Heat uh, by Earl Stanley Gardner, who's a pretty famous author in this realm anyway. It's about Donald Lamb. It's one of his Lamb mysteries, okay. where he's hired to find a missing twenty. Um, sorry, a missing woman from 21 years earlier by a quote Mr. Smith, and then he faces a sadistic cop, a desperate showgirl, duplicitous client, a newspaper report. Like it's kind of all the trappings I love within film noirs and detective stuff. So I'm looking for. I was like, ooh, as soon as I saw that one, I was like, I'm done. I'm going to this one. <laughs> that one is checked off. Well, it sounds like a great one. I do like Dashiell Hammett, so I'm gonna have to check that out. Well, this find, one, find a new author from that. Uh, yeah, oh, time right, period, yeah, from that so, time yeah. period. Yeah. Um, I, oh, I don't remember his biography. He's he. I think he's like the Perry Mason creator. Yes. Maybe. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can remember exactly. So like, it, it's operating within the realms of mystery and intrigue that I think he's he's very well, very very well suited for. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, So I have one more. Um, This is from the 52 Book Club. The prompt was a book with at least four different points of view. And I'm actually reading it right now. Um, It's called The Album of Dr. Moreau. And it's a retelling of The Island of Dr. Moreau, Mm -hmm. which for those of you who haven't read it, uh, a scientist on an island is creating animal-human hybrids. But in this one, it takes place modern times, and these hybrids are part of a boy band. Oh. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Moreau is the uh, manager, kind of a seedy, real corrupt manager, and he's found dead. Oh, okay. And the question is, who killed him? Was it one of the band members? They all had a uh, bone to pick. Yeah. Or was it somebody else? So <laughs> it's actually really good, and I'm listening to the audio, and it's fantastic. Oh, nice. Do they do, like, multiple voices or things like that for the different characters? Or Just subtle changes, subtle but okay. you can definitely tell who's talking. The, okay. I don't know who the narrator is, but he's excellent. Um, I wouldn't have guessed that twist until you were describing it, but the album of Dr. Moreau makes total sense now that you've described what's going on there. (laughs) It's so strange. Uh, Kind of mystery, sci-fi mashup, but I'm really digging it. Well, I can wrap up, actually, one that kind of ties in with with that music idea, I guess. I would say format, not quite format, but with that idea of music. uh, One of the challenges I found on the 52-book challenge... Actually, I don't remember where I found this one, to be honest. I'm looking at it now, and it's not marked on there. It was one called... uh, Title chosen at random from your to-be-read list. Was this one of yours, maybe? That might have been. That might be. So what I did was... Oh, yeah, it's right here on your list. A title at random chosen for your to-be-read list. Uh, well, I'm on Goodreads, as you are, like a lot of you know readers and librarians are, and my to-be-read list is long, and I will probably never get to most of them. So I love the idea of, like, oh, yes, I can check one of those off. And so I put, you know, a random number generator in Google, 1 to 500 or whatever the number was. And the one that popped out for me was... High Bias, The Distorted History of the Cassette Tape. So, nonfiction uh, by Mark Masters. And it goes from the invention of the cassette tape in the 60s through the 80s heyday of the Walkman and how it dominated the music industry. And then to its kind of quote-unquote death at this point. Um, But there's a lot of indie and DIY bands out there that are putting out their albums on cassette tape that you can get at shows nowadays. I go to a lot of punk shows, so maybe it's just a punk thing. I don't know. But um, one of the parts of the book that sounded really fascinating to me was that there were these... There's a lot of um, 
reporting, I guess, on the underground uh, artists and distributors of cassette tapes that were like the concert bootleggers or the people that were like making secret messages and puzzle tapes that they would just like leave out in public and all these uses for cassette tapes that I was like, I didn't know that was even going on. Oh my gosh, this sounds amazing. So I'm looking forward to reading that one. I hope that one actually pans out. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to write a whole biography of the cassette tape, I feel like there's some wild stories you could have within that realm. So I don't know if there's necessarily going to be the album of, of Dr. Moreau in there, but it sounds like that would be right at home within the world of uh, the cassette tape that he's exploring there. Yeah, for sure. Well, if you want to and are interested, uh, we, you can stop by the library. Like I said, the display is up with Aaron's list and some other challenges as well. Again, feel free to cherry pick. There's not pressure. This isn't homework. Exactly. Um, that sort of thing. And then just also as a, as a last reminder, we do have our winter reading challenge going on. What a perfect way to jump into a reading challenge than grabbing the first few prompts and really starting strong at the beginning of the year. Uh, that's going on from February 1st to 29th. Uh, so keep an eye out for that at westlakelibrary.org. And with that, I think we will uh, speak with folks at our, our next uh, Reader's Advisory segment. Thanks for listening. We hope to have sparked your curiosity to keep exploring something you heard today. Follow the links in the show notes if any specific title piqued your interest. We'll speak again shortly when we go beyond the stacks in our next episode. Music